Hi everyone, welcome to Season 2 of the Asian Hustle Network Podcast, where we interview Asian entrepreneurs and professionals around the world. And for this season, we're going to take our conversations deeper about our Asian identity and hustle stories. We also want to announce that we are hosting our first ever Asian Hustle Network Uplifted Conference next spring in Las Vegas. For more info and to reserve your seats, check out our website at asianhustlenetwork.com. Don't forget to grab a copy of our recently released book, Uplifted, Journeys of Abundance, Community, and Identity, which tells the personal stories of how 21 Asian American entrepreneurs are shifting culture. You can order it on our website as well. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us. His name is Sean Sao. Sean is a proud Chinese-American immigrant who grew up in the Los Angeles area and alumnus of UC Berkeley. During his senior year, he joined his college friends to start a daily deals company called Munch On Me. YC class of summer 11, and dove into the tech startup industry. He later co-founded a food delivery company, Caviar, in early 2012. Caviar was later acquired by Square, now a public company, in 2014, and then acquired again by DoorDash in 2019. He is currently a co-founder and general partner of Beluga Capital and Lunatic Capital, a tech investment syndicate and crypto-focused fund, respectively. He is also currently an advisor to a few tech startups and a part-time advisor at The House Fund. Besides tech, Sean is the founding partner of Umai Hospitality Group, a restaurant group investing in major franchises like The Halal Guys and Bonchon Fried Chicken, along with local brands like Rooster and Rice. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Yeah. And Sean, thank you so much for helping the podcast. For you guys that don't know, Sean is also part of our Age and Uplifted book where he shared his amazing story. But for this podcast, we're, we're sort of just hop right into life after caviar. But I don't want to, to be so abrupt, but Sean, can you give like a quick rundown of where you grew up, what, what your upbringing was like, and we'll hop into your story now. Sure. Uh, so I am a uh, Chinese American immigrant. Uh, first, I was an immigrant to the country of Japan, uh, which I was where I was born. Uh, and then uh, when I was five, my parents immigrated to the United States to L.A. in a city called West Covina. And then I later moved to a city called Torrance. I would say, uh, you know, I had a very typical Chinese family in that we, you know, I had the strict father and mother who always were on my case about studying and learning piano and uh, doing all these extracurricular activities to get me into college, right? I, I will say that I was very fortunate in that my parents were very ambitious of my future in making sure that I had all the resources to accomplish what I uh, needed. That's you know something that I look back on today and and seeing like oh wow that was like a really important foundation to my future uh, to my present day because of what my parents did for me you know I lived in a in a suburb called Torrance and uh, grew up 
in a fairly safe neighborhood with good friends. I was definitely a nerd growing up. I loved all the video games. Uh, I played Counter Strike. Uh, I, you know, I was on the math team. I was on the chess team. I was, you know, I was doing all this nerdy stuff. And of course, uh, but I was also really into sports. I was on like every single, you know, sports team I could get, I could get into. Uh, and then afterwards, I got into UC Berkeley, uh, where I actually majored in architecture. The reason why was because when I was younger, I loved to just uh, scribble and draw uh, everything that I saw, and especially buildings. Uh, I, I had no idea why, like I had a fascination with how space connects with people and just the visual importance of man-made objects. And so I was very lucky in that my parents saw how interested I was in architecture and that they encouraged me to go to community college and after school programs to kind of hone in on my design skills. And with that, I was able to get into UC Berkeley, got into their College of Environmental Design. I worked for the college football team to uh, help pay for tuition and Senior year, my my buddy Jason Wang was like, hey, I'm doing a daily deals company and uh, I might need some help drawing up some like marketing stuff. And also I need help with sales in general. Marketing stuff, I was like, all right, that's easy. I can draw stuff up, you know, no big deal. And yeah, sales, it's like, it's the same thing as pitching my buildings and architecture programs, uh, architecture projects to professors. So I was like, all right, it's probably it's like the same thing. I'll, I can do this. And at the time I had a lot of spare, spare time just because I was actually able to graduate in three years, but I decided to stay another year to, to take more classes. And also I just enjoyed the college uh, experience and I was very lucky that I could afford to do so. And with that extra time, we, I got into the uh, startup industry and then never looked back. Wow. That is an amazing story. You know, the way, the way that you described your childhood, it sounds like we're best friends, man. (laughs) (laughs) In a different time, if we met earlier, we're best friends, piano, music, study, math, you got it. We're best friends. (laughs) Oh man. Yeah. We were probably, probably would have been the same uh, group of friends. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really great insight of how you grew up and what was expected from you. And I know we read your story in the book and we absolutely loved it. But I just want to hear again on our podcast, what was your parents' reaction when when you kind of left the traditional path and sort of went on this crazy adventure of being a startup? What were the first few words he said to you? How did you handle the pressure yourself in terms of like, what did you even tell yourself at that point? Like, Sean, let's do this. Or Sean, what the heck are you doing? You know, definitely there were many times in my head where like, what the F am I doing? You know? This is definitely not the route my parents had chosen for me in that they expected me to graduate, get a you know corporate job or some sort of like a decent paying job and go from there and climb the corporate ladder or whatever. And so when I told them, hey, I'm going to push off my architecture career for another year at least, and I'm going to work on this company with my friend, I will not be paid anything. <laughs> Initially, my parents were very hesitant, but they knew that no matter what they said, I was just going to do it anyways, because if I needed to find ways to make money on the side, like I'll, I'll do it while I'm trying to do this startup thing. 
I actually did a ton of research studies to pay for my rent. There's a lab out there with like vials on my blood, I think. <laughs> you know, that sounds just, really crazy. Yeah. <laughs> wait, just talk to that real quick. What do you mean by have lots of your blood? Do you like donate blood uh, to do research or did you, I have like- no idea? They made me so like there was this one ad where it's like a two, three months thing, and they're like, We'll give you a thousand bucks if we can take some of your blood, then you answer a bunch of these random questions. I had no idea what they were up to. Like I had to sign like a uh, well, they essentially told me like, we can't tell you what we're doing, but we need these things from you and we'll pay you. I said, okay, yeah, I want to ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I did that and yeah, did a bunch of so many research studies, actually really funny story. Um, I went into a research study one time and I saw my co-founder, Andy, go into the same building and say, oh, you too? You're doing oh my that? God. Like, yeah, I got to pay for rent as well. <laughs> <laughs> that is that uh, is some hustle to the next level here. Like, <laughs> right? Just just for clarification, is giving out blood instead of being injected random things, right? No, no, they were they were taking blood. <laughs> okay, I wasn't okay, injected okay. anything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right, I'm glad. Yeah, but you know, it's obviously in the beginning, it's really hard to survive trying to accomplish this goal and. Of course, every now and then I would be like, hey, mom, I might need like a hundred bucks just to make rent. And of course, my parents are very supportive of that. And they would also follow up. It's so like, when are you going to go back and get a real job and maybe an MBA or this and that? And I'm like, well, like I'm still working on this thing. So, you know, give me some time. And for my parents, they're like, I, I appreciate that they were allowing me to I guess, explore my careers and wants. And I, luckily my dad knows a bit about tech, the tech industry and the tech culture. And so when he saw that we started to finally raise some money, he kind of like, he, he, he got it. My mom, not so much. It, my dad was like, okay, I see that you raise some money, you make some traction, that's good. Like, let's, you know, I fully support what you're doing. Just, you know, just be careful out there. So, you know, eventually I got their blessing to continue what I was already doing. And yeah, and now they're, you know, they're retired just free and they really don't care what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> that is, this is yeah. a story about pure hustle right there. You know, you, we all know like starting any company at the early stages, it's, it's do or die type of, you know, you have to go all in. And the fact that you hop all in and your parents are supportive. And you found ways to support yourself through very unconventional means. <laughs> as long as you're not selling drugs, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me the blood. Um, yeah, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, sorry, go ahead, Maggie. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, like it's, I feel like that's so, such a common theme in Asian households and Asian parents. Like we, you know, oftentimes have our parents worry about us. They just want us to have like, you know, very stable jobs where we can have a stable income. But until we get some traction, we're like, okay, okay. Like, just be careful. But I understand you're, you know, doing something that you're very passionate about. And I think they were able to see that, you know, they were able to see that and they started trusting your instinct and your gut. Yeah. Like I I would say, uh, I don't know about other Asian ethnicities, but I would say like a lot of Chinese families, they have this tendency of like, don't rock the boat, you know, like follow this path that, that we know is good. Like that's why we always have the stereotype of like, oh yeah, Chinese kids goes into like lawyers or become lawyers or doctors or something like that. Or even 
uh, my dad was in IT, so he wanted me to go into engineering, right? Like he would used to give me these toys that you have to code essentially to make it work. You know, which I played with and did, but I was like, this is not interesting. I rather like draw, <laughs> you know? So I, I, I appreciate that they try to help me succeed in life. It's just that it, I, it was just not me, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but what really helped with, at least with my family was that they were willing to give me a chance, whatever my dream was. And Actually, they were also hesitant of me going into architecture because my dad sent me this article about like the two lowest paying occupations. One was a chef and the other was an architect. <laughs> and they would tell me That's that. Like, Are you sure you want to go into this? You sure you don't want to be a doctor, pre-med, pre-law, you know, or engineering? I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go draw some buildings or, you know, restrooms or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy, right? Because those professions at the time seem like low paying, but nowadays dudes like social media, it can be highly lucrative or profitable. You just can never, you can really like never predict the future in any way. I'm kind of curious too, because you're hustling so hard trying to make rent. What was the turning point? But before we get there, what, what, what was almost the breaking point where you're, where you're like, I want to give myself a few more months, a few more years. If it doesn't work out, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I'm sorry. Have you faced those moments where you were like, man, like how much longer can I keep giving up blood? And like, there's only so much blood I have. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. As you know, like we, when we first started off, it was a daily deals company. And unfortunately that didn't go well. And we, so the partners at the time, we went to a bar called Bears Lair at Berkeley and we got together and like, okay, we're going to have to shut down this company what do we do next? Right. At that point, it was turning my head like, Oh shit. Like I'm going to have to tell my parents, like I've like disappointed them or like I, I failed and I need to get my shit together and go apply to jobs. Definitely was on the top of my mind. Like, do I need to go apply to jobs tomorrow? I mean, like my other co-founders had already started doing other things started applying to other jobs. And so it was quite demoralizing at that point. And we had a, also had a co-founder at the time. He was like, hey, I'm on a um, H-1B visa and I, I need to get a real job to stay in this country. And this guy was one of the guys who essentially influenced me to get into the startup, this entrepreneurship journey. And that was really tough for me because it was like, damn, like, you know, I, I followed you here and you're leaving. <laughs> but I guess in the end, you know, we decided, okay, let's give another idea a try, like a real go, you know, we'll try to raise some money. And if that, if we can't raise any money, then we'll, we'll shut it all down. But within that year, we developed Caviar, we launched we got traction, we got funding. And after that, you know, like maybe six months after launch, we're like, I was like, okay, yeah, like I, I'm in this long-term. There's no turning back now. Well, I mean, I mean, it's crazy, right? Because if you take a step back in that moment that if you guys would have quit at the very, we started, started caviar, like your future would be significantly different. But the fact that you took what you learned, you kept your head a high and you kept being optimistic. Hey, like, let's try again. Let's see what we can do. That's, that's, 
usually what it takes for most people to succeed. It's like not giving up too early. Like the light is literally at the end of the tunnel. And, and I know for a fact that there's a lot of struggles that you're simplifying in the story of like, things are going to be okay, you know? <laughs> but we just want to relate to listeners, no. relate to listeners too. Like that struggle that you felt, it's, it was real, right? It was like that, oh man, like, like you mentioned earlier, like what the hell am I doing? Yeah. You know, sometimes the best things were actually to reflect on the bad stuff. It's not always good to be like, okay, we're going to be okay. We're going to be like positive thinking. Like instead I thought about, okay, let's think about all the bad things that are happening is how bad is it? You know, like how bad is my situation? So at the worst time I was like, okay, I still have maybe three or four month runway for myself that I've saved up money. I can still, you know, find a job if I need to. I have friends in the architecture industry that said like they might be able to help me out. Not all that bad. Right. So it's okay. It's not great. It's not bad. It's okay. And it's, it's actually really good to be okay because most people in this world are in a really bad situation. And so when I thought of it that way, like, sure, like I'm not going to lie to myself. I'm not in a great position. Right. But I'm okay. And that it's okay. It's again, like I held on to that. It's okay to be okay. And so let's just keep going at okay. Keep grinding as hard as I can. And I know that if things don't go well, I can always go back. And that's something that a lot of people don't even have an option for. And so with that mindset, I'm like, okay, time to keep going. Right. If things go well, it goes well, things go bad. I'm still going to be okay. And let's just call it like neutral thinking, you know, I had a neutral thinking going through all the way until we succeeded. And honestly, it was a privilege to have, to be able to have that neutral thinking, uh, the privilege in that I had a backup plan. I had, if a sh- you know, shit hits the f- fan plan. And so with that perspective in mind, I knew that I can, if I give it my all, I can still land on my feet. And that sort of thinking gave me the energy, the motivation to be able to put 110%. Because I know for some people, you know, when they start hustling, go on their own, they really don't have a backup plan. And that kind of pulls them back from giving their all. Yeah. Wow. I think that neutral thinking is, is a really good way that you put it. Because you knew, you knew that, you know, no matter what, there will be a backup plan for you. But at the same time, you knew that things are not as good as they should be. So that kind of pushes you forward and continues to push you to do, you know, 110% because that's what you needed to do, right? Like it's not perfect. It's not all roses and daisies right now, but I'm in an okay position, right? But you were still able to, you know, like see kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel and just push through because that's exactly what you had to do. And I don't want to give away like too much from the book, but I mean, like Brian said, everyone loved your story. It was almost (laughs) as if I was in those journeys with you and Jason and just like hustling so hard. And I know in one part of the story, you had mentioned that you would be like driving to deliver food to people while you were on the phone with someone who was like asking for a return and then on another call for like a forgotten order that you had like forgotten an order or something, 
all while you're driving and you're just handling three different things. And I think you said like you had almost died most multiple times just driving and doing different things at once. Do you ever look back and think, you know, I miss those times, you know, those were the, the hustle and grind times, you know, and those are the times that we really, you know, busted our butts off. Do you ever think back and, and think that way? Like, man, I miss those times. I do think about them like nostalgically, but at the same time, I know that like, if I do that again, it's so much stress, so much anxiety. And it's just, I can't afford to lose more hair. So, you know, and you know, my co-founders know like, like as much as we think back of like, oh, wow, we hustled so hard during those days. It's like, we asked, so you want to do that again? And there's a hesitancy, you know, after that question. It's like, oh, maybe, uh, probably not right now. Because <laughs> we still remember the pain that we had to go through during that hustle. But, you know, in the end, it got us to a good place. And that's why we think about it uh, so nostalgically. Yeah, let's, let's hear about the celebration. Let's hear about, let's fast forward a little bit more. Like the day that you guys went to your acquisition. For our listeners that don't know, Caviar got acquired by Square for about $100 million. So congratulations. What was that news like? And what was that process like for you to be like, oh my goodness, like only a couple of years ago, I was driving, I was giving out blood, I was doing this and that. Like what was flashing through your mind? You know, what's, what's going on? Initially, I was like, what the hell is Square looking to call us? Little did I know they would actually develop something similar in the back where most people didn't know. Um, they were trying to order, uh, create this thing called Square Order and they weren't getting as much traction as they would like. And so they decided to go the acquisition method. And when, we, when I first heard that Square was looking to uh, partner with us, so it wasn't an acquisition necessarily. They came in and they're like, hey, we would like to partner with you guys. We're trying to develop something called Square Order and uh, we want you to be the delivery service behind it. And so we're like, okay, let's keep talking. And so we started to talk to more of the executives. This had a product at the time, which was uh, Gokul, who's now at DoorDash as well. And also we talked to the CFO, Sarah Fryer, who is now the CEO of Nextdoor. And, you know, they were essentially, eventually they were, they came to, I forgot how they even brought it up to Jason and I, but they were essentially like, okay, we want to acquire you guys. And I remember Jason and I, we were in Boston to expand that city. And Sapphire actually flew all the way to Boston to talk to us. And Jason and talking more about the synergies of Square and Caviar. And so Jason and I, we were on a tour of the East Coast to help develop these cities out. And then one day we were in Miami and a guy named Jason Lee, who was the, um, the guy, head, he headed our acquisition. He said, okay, here's the offer. So we got the offer and, you know, at the time, I thought it was going to be like somewhere, like we just raised like around like a 50 mil valuation. So I figured like it would be like somewhere around that ballpark because we just raised our series A at that valuation like a month ago. So I figured it'd be somewhere around that, but then they doubled that plus extra. Like they gave us like, okay, we're going to give you this plus a package for you guys that are the founders. And we're going to raise everyone's salaries by this much. I was like, holy shit, this is a deal. And, you know, we got Jason and I got on a call with the rest of the founders and, and we're like, okay, 
let's entertain this. Let's say that, let's say we're a verbal yes. And so that night, Jason and I went to a club in Miami, ordered some bottles and just celebrated. <laughs> it was just us two at a table, like <laughs> at a club. Yeah, oh uh, it was pretty funny. And then yeah, afterwards we had several months of due diligence and then news broke out that we were talking with Square and then the official news came out August 1st, which is the official date of the acquisition, uh, August 1st, 2014. And yeah. Wow. What was the first thing that you did after the acquisition? Like, I'm sure, you know, maybe not externally, but internally, your mind has shifted a little bit, right? Like your life has changed a little bit, right? What were like the immediate needs that you wanted to fulfill after that? Nothing really. <laughs> I just continued my day. Honestly, I was like, oh yeah, that was cool. Uh, I, I, I called my mom and my dad was like, all right, the papers are signed. Uh, we're good to go. I, already, I had already informed them like maybe a couple months before, like, hey, we got an offer from Square. They were super happy for me. And, um, and then, yeah, it's just, yeah, once we're quiet, I just, honestly, all I could think of was how I can help transition my current employees into the new Square, I guess the Square company's ecosystem and i was like i i really didn't think about anything else i could do uh maybe actually three months afterwards my car broke down my my old toyota camry my reliant car that i did so many deliveries with like hundreds of deliveries of that car it broke down and like i was gonna try to fix it but the the car auto uh, mechanic was like yeah, this is going to cost way more to fix than if you just sold it on the, you know, on the market. So I sold the car and Jason, Jason at the time was like, oh, I'm going to celebrate by buying myself a new Tesla. And I was like, well, I don't have a car anymore, so I might as well buy a Tesla too. And so I guess that was my gift to myself. <laughs> I love the humble mindset that both you and Jason have, right? It's when you meet Jason and yourself, too, you can never tell that like, you guys have that big of an exit. It's just the way you guys are as people. It's very humble. It's very grounded. It's very like, okay, what's next? Uh, how can I take care of other people for myself? You guys are not materialistic in any way. It's very humbling to see that transition, right? Yeah. And then uh, Trisha gets really mad at me because like I keep all, I wear only like a bunch of free t-shirts. I have holes in my socks. And she's like, you need to upgrade your closet now. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, like, it's not completely worn down yet. Oh, <laughs> no. Trisha's just trying to help you out with your, your fashion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that mentality, you guys are, you guys are going to be in business for a long time, regardless of what you do. <laughs> yeah. um, I, you know, end of the day, like, I think it came down. It wasn't, of course, the money is fantastic. It changed, like, whoever said, like, money doesn't make you happy is sort of right. But at the same time, money solves so many damn problems. <laughs> so it has helped, you know, with the stress and everything. But at the end of the day, like, that was not what we strive for when we were building Caviar. What we strive for is to make a difference and an impact in an area that we felt that we were really good at. And I do think that people who are mission driven as founders tend to go further than people who are just looking at dollar signs. Because when you do that, you look at your customers and the people that you serve as dollar signs and um, people tend to do the wrong actions, maybe unethical actions 
when they do that. Versus what the founders who I've seen succeed, they're very mission driven. It's like, this is the, uh, of course, the end of the day, like I would love to be a billionaire and all that. But like, in order to do that, I want to accomplish this mission. And that is a key character that I have seen with uh, so many uh, successful founders. Absolutely. I mean, that is, that's a really good point. You're driven by the mission because it gets hard, right? It gets really, really hard. What's going to make you smile? Is your mission or is it money? <laughs> you know? yeah. Think about money can still make you smile, but your mission carries you to, through the darkest times. Yeah. yeah. Who's, who's going to bring you to that level, right? Like in order to be a billionaire or even a millionaire, like your customers are going to help you get to that level. Yeah. Right? So you have to think about your customers first and make sure that you're putting them as a priority. Yeah. And like one of the things that Y Combinator says is make something people want. Right. Why did they say that? It's because they want you to focus your attention to the customer, not what you think the customer should want, but what, but you should listen to what the customer wants and you should, and you should be driven by that mission. Absolutely. And let's talk, talk a little bit more about your role as an investor and advisor right now. Like how did, how does, how does this come about? Like, did it come about like a couple months after you left Square or was there a gradual process? Was it something you were thinking about? And how, how are you helping founders right now? Definitely not something I had in mind when I had exited Square. I really thought I was just going to disappear and travel for a while or, I don't know, go ski and snowboard all day long because uh, I love skiing and snowboarding. But the first thing that happened was that we had a friend who started the Halog, who purchased the Halog Guys franchise for San Francisco. And he told us about the opportunity and Jason and I, we're huge, huge fans of the Halal guys. And so when we heard the opportunity to purchase a franchise, I was like, oh, let's just do it. I love the Halal guys. Like I want to, I want to do this. And we just happened to have like a former restaurant manager who lived in Seattle that was available. He's like, yeah, I want to do this too. And so we purchased the Seattle franchise for the Halal guys. And now we started a hospitality company to accommodate for this investment. And um, yeah, I went to New York. I, uh, I made halal plates for a week. It was brutal, man. New York people are mean. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I, I did that. And as soon as we got into restaurants, there were more, like more people came up to me about restaurant opportunities. And so now I started to invest and operate them just because I, learn how to be a restaurant owner, a cook, a, all, all this. Like I had a higher understanding of what, what a good restaurant is and what a good restaurant tech company would be. And at the same time, we also had, Jason had a friend who was also in Y Combinator. His name is Mike Shu. He is a CEO of Grub Market, which is now a unicorn. <laughs> and at the time, you know, we, Jason really liked him. I really liked him. He was such a hustler. And we just wanted to support him. And so we gave him a check. And so in order to give him a check, we had to start an LLC to legally do all this. And so that's how we started into angel investing because of, of this. Uh, once, we, once people learned that we were giving out you know, checks to early stage startups, more and more companies started approaching us. And then that's how we got into uh, investing in startup companies. And now I'm officially advising three companies. We've invested maybe into 30 concepts now. And then, yeah, we invest into multiple restaurants, bars, restaurant tech companies. 
and then you know once more and more people were connecting with me they wanted me to join them as an advisor to this fund or that fund and so that's i i was a senior advisor over at christian robotics vc and now i'll be doing part uh, i'll be advisor over at the house fund um it's nothing that i had intended to do it just i just kept doing what i enjoyed and things just came to me i don't, I don't know i don't know how to explain it no you explained it perfectly you know you kept following what felt right in your passion and that's always been helping people and exploring things that you always like to do right and that always ends up leading to more and more opportunities and this, look look where you are like you started out hustling giving out blood driving <laughs> delivery food <laughs> dude like 10 years later like look at you now man the impact that you're making on other people's lives like we always hear about how you are so passionate about helping founders and you openly defend certain things on, on Facebook that we're just like, wow, like, like, thanks for speaking up, Sean. Like we need more people like yourself. So we appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, end of the day, I, I look back on my own journey and I see, I remember the people who helped me and their messages. And for me, I just want to pass that along and to help anyone like me or maybe even people who were who are less fortunate than I am and so if I can give my time and usually like all they need is like 15 minutes of my time I, I can give it to you it's free it doesn't cost me anything and but if that can impact you in in a big way then hell yeah right and you know this is Asian hustle network so of course I'm going to help out my fellow Asians and a big reason behind that is again, like we talked earlier that a lot of Asians are pigeonholed in by their parents or their family into certain professions. We should put our head down and just work in this corporate ladder built by, you know, uh, it's not PC, but white people in this country, you know, but how for Asians to make a bigger impact in this world, we have to empower all Asians. And so let's, so, Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. You put it perfectly. And, you know, Brian and I, we talk about that all the time, especially it's, it's an ongoing topic with Asian Hustle Network. You know, there's, I think our culture is just rooted in a lot of competition. So it's easy to compare ourselves to others, but we have to work together. You know, that's really how we're supposed to rise all tides and rise all boats or however the saying goes. So I completely agree with you. I think, you know, to really succeed as an Asian community together, we really have to work together. And I'm so glad that you, you brought that up. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say one of the, uh, the huge advantages of non-immigrants is generational wealth. Right. And on top, and also generational networks. That's extremely important because, you know, I've met, a, I've, you know, I have a lot of white friends who have, lived here for since, I don't know, colonial days. And, you know, they're trying to raise money for a company. They're easily able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars from their parents, friends, their network. How amazing is that? When we, like, when we were, when we all started our companies, like we didn't, we really didn't have any generational network of wealth to go to. And so how do immigrants like that, us, how are we able to cre like create this network? We have to do, we have to hustle. We have to build our own company. We have to build this community 
to help people like us. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. So Sean, what's really next for you? Um, I mean, you are just inspiring so many people and continuing to, you know, help the community and help other founders who are trying to, you know, get started. But what do you see happening for you in like the next five years or so? Well, right now, my former co-founder, Jason, and I, we started a crypto fund uh, along with a few other uh, guys that you guys know, Min Park, uh, David Chen, Jeff Wing. We see that as the future of how things could work. We see massive disruption happening there. And so we want to be a part of that. Uh, so I do see myself being heavily involved in crypto and how it can really disrupt the finance industry. The internet just really disrupted the, uh, the social and communication industry, really. And so how do we bring down age-old financial industries to the people, right? There's a reason why the richest people in the world are usually somehow involved in finance. Let's bring that money down. And so that's something that we're looking into. And at the same time, I'm also uh, looking into investments in Southeast Asia. One of the things that Trisha, who's Filipino, has brought my eye to was that there's a lot of talent in the Philippines. And my friend who's in Indonesia is telling me the same thing. And there's a lot of untapped potential there. And so I've been doing some work and investing in companies there that are helping up-level the talent in those countries. And if we can invest in those companies to up-level the talent, as in like uh, I invested in a company called uh, Avion, which is a uh, Lambda school for the Philippines. You know, it's the education system. There's a lot different from here. And so the, the Lambda school model actually works really well in the Philippines. And what's amazing is that a lot of companies that now are outsourcing their engineering to Southeast Asia, seeing that like, oh, there's a lot of smart, talented people for a lot lower cost. For Google, that's like, oh, low cost. But for someone who lives in the Philippines, it's two, three times higher than like the average salary. So if we can bring more of the tech industry to the Philippines, to Indonesia, to Southeast Asia, we're going to be able to uplift entire countries that were considered poor. You're absolutely right. Um, this is where we have the same mindset. I'm like, crypto is going to change the world. I've been advocating for it. Meta, Web3, all the all hot words <laughs> that we hear nowadays. <laughs> I absolutely agree. Like, there's so much destruction that's going, that's going to happen because of the blockchain technology and crypto, basically. And personally, I feel like it evens out the playing field a lot. And it really... There, you can't have inflation with blockchain, right? There's there's scams, yes, but you can't have inflation oh, because it's yeah. Well, supply people demand. don't. I guess people forget in the '90s or that they were, and even today, there's a ton of tech web 2.0 companies that were is that were Ponzi schemes. People were losing tons of money. Like, why do we? Why do you think we had a dot com bubble? Right. That's something that a lot of people in the crypto industry is talking about as well. Like there's, yeah, of course, there's a lot of Ponzi schemes, a lot of bad actors in the space. Yeah. But there's an underlying technology or, or that's behind it all that can really disrupt and bring wealth to more people. 
Absolutely. Absolutely agree with that statement. And the Southeast Asia analysis too. It's funny because uh, most of our engineering talent is in Southeast Asia for Asian Hustle Network. Oh, <laughs> so, <no. laughs> so yes, I absolutely agree. The talent is, is there. It just takes a little guidance for them to totally explode. And I like the fact that you're one of the guiding gallon talents out there, not just for like the United States talent, but like international talent. And I can't wait to see what continues to unfold for you, Sean. Like you, I feel like you're so mellow and calm in every single thing, every single <laughs> thing that you do. That it's just, you kind of just absorb the moment, nod and be like, all right, what's next? Let's do it. You know? And I really like that demeanor about you. It's, it's very, very inspiring, inspiring to see that. I, I guess my mindset's like, why be stressed about something? You know, it's not worth my time. Let's just be, you know, let's be optimistic about the future, us, and, you know, hopefully it plays out well. And if it doesn't, so be it. You know, at least I try. I like that. Live life, no regrets. And I love the relationship that you have with Trisha too, just exchanging business ideas and congratulations on your engagement. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's kind of fun having, um, being able to uh, see Trisha's journey. Cause it's like a reflection, a somewhat of a reflection of mine. And um, I must tell you though, like her journey as a female founder is completely different from mine as a male founder. And it's, it's enlightening. It's very enlightening. Yeah, I'm glad she's. I'm glad you guys are there to support each other throughout the, the best times and the worst of times. So you guys are our inspirational couple, and you guys look fantastic all the time online. <laughs> you do. Oh, you guys look fantastic. You guys do look fantastic. <laughs> it, it's all. It's all because Trisha. I usually like. I'm. I just have a t-shirt, sweats on, walk around like like a bum all the time that's <laughs> yeah. like, and, and, her, and her employees know like they literally walk into the office looking like a bum <laughs> yeah. and uh, for, for our listeners trisha is sean's fiance and she is named forbes 30 under 30 forbes 30 under 30 and the founder of queenly she was on her previous episode of season one awesome sean um we have one final question for you and that question is if you can go back to the time where you were hustling really, really hard and actually let's go back to the moment where you were deciding whether or not to start that, that separate company or start caviar, what was, what is one advice you can give to another entrepreneur at that, at that point of their career where they had to make a decision? Do I continue? Do I not continue? What advice would that be? The first thing I would say is what, what are your dreams? What, what do you want to accomplish? Right. Can you accomplish that within the runway that you have? It's really important because, you know, if you don't have enough financial runway, then yeah, you should maybe consider go get a job and build that runway, build a, build a network. And it's okay. Like it's okay to take time off to start a journey, go back and get a job, but at the same time, continue to hustle while you have the job you know, network like crazy. Like you really have to, but you know, if you're like, okay, I do have the runway. I can afford to do this. Then go do it. You know, like, what do you have to lose that you do? People do have to think about that. Like, what do you have to lose? It's extremely important. And something like people don't understand with immigrants is that like, sometimes we really 
don't have a backup plan. Like we don't have, some people don't have parents or families to rely on. And that's okay. Like, you know, it's okay if you have to give up on your dream right now, but it's not the end. You know, there are plenty of people who have succeeded in later stages of their life and that's okay. So, you know, I would love to tell everybody, just go do it, put all your effort into it and uh, don't worry about the consequences, but I'd be lying to, I'd be lying if I didn't think about those things, you know? I really did, but I was fortunate. Again, I was fortunate that I had a backup plan. I had a safety net of sorts with my family who had a house, you know, like some people don't even have that. And so, you know, look at yourself. Where are you, where are you at? Can you afford to do this? Go do it. And even if you give up, it's not the end. Your dream, like the dream only dies when you die. So Absolutely. don't worry about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like your long-term thinking and it's very, it's very good for us to hear that because it gives us a chance to take a step back. Cause a lot of us are quick to judge our own life that we didn't succeed. Now we're total failures and that we're not going to amount to anything. But I like just, I like the fact that you're looking at life at a much longer scale. Like life is still so long for a lot of us. It's still very amazing. Right. And the fact yeah. that you never give up, think opportunities will still come. It's just around the mindset to like really spot those opportunities when you come along. It's really easy to get distracted from that because especially yeah, in my twenties, when we were doing caviar, uh, we had so many friends who were in finance and engineering, getting paid like ridiculous salaries. And, you know, they're going on with amazing trips with nice cars, or maybe even they even bought a house at a college. And here I am in my shitty apartment with two other people, you know, eating scraps from a photo shoot that I had just taken from caviar <laughs> for caviar. And I hadn't traveled or done anything fun for so long because I had no money. You know, those things can really affect your mindset uh, and wanting to give up and just go get a job. But, but the people who persevere will win. You know, it's not, it's not a short like you cannot think of things in a short term way, right? It's some people think like, Oh yeah, if I, if I get into Dogecoin, it'll go up 10 X in a year or something like that. It's like, you really can't think of that way. You really, it's a lot better. If you think of your goals on a five year, 10 year plan, it's so easy to get sucked into like get rich quick schemes. You know, I, Trust me, I've almost got sucked into like all those things and it's not, and it will set you back from your real goals. For sure. I just want to appreciate that. Like Brian mentioned, your long-term thinking and you kind of presenting the perspective from two different perspectives, because looking at your runway, like if you don't have enough runway and you need to, you know, take on a nine to five, while you're working on the thing that you're passionate about, it's okay. You know, like just stating the fact that it's okay. But if you do have enough runway, you don't go for it, you know, and just like thinking it from those two different perspectives, which, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people in those two different groups. It's really, really important. Right. But we have to, you know, continue to make sure that we do the thing that we're passionate about, because as long as, you know, you have that dream and you don't give up on it, then you're not going to fail, right? Yeah. 
Love it. Thank you so much for sharing that advice, Sean. So where can our listeners find out more about you and all of the things that you're working on online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Sal. And yeah, I actually tweet a lot of crypto stuff on there. So if you're interested in that, follow me. If not, you can... How else can you, oh, you can just add me on LinkedIn. I don't know. Just hit me up. <laughs> I I do sometimes look at my instant uh, LinkedIn messages for for pitch decks. I, I look at them, and so and you can tweet tweet me, DM me your uh, your pitch decks as well, and yeah, I'll read them. Awesome! Thank you so much, Sean. We'll leave all of that in the show notes. Don't blame us if you get like hundreds of pitch decks all of a sudden. <laughs> Then I'll have some, uh, you know, holiday reading then. (laughs) (laughs) But thank you so much for being on our podcast today, Sean. We really appreciate you for being on and just love that we were able to do this continuation of your story. And for all of our listeners who haven't checked out Sean's story yet, his story is highlighted in our book, our first ever Asian Puzzle Network book called Uplifted Journeys of Abundance, Community and Identity. So check out Sean's story in there. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Sean. Really appreciate yeah. you having, having you in the podcast and the book. Thank you for everything you do. For sure. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.